drive 135. I also can't drive 135 because I have no car. I'm Tyler. <laughs> I'm Danny. Episode 135 of Fried Squirms. We're getting right towards the end. We're getting right close to Halloween now. And today we're going to end up talking about Pumpkinhead, which is awesome. Yeah, for sure. But before we get there, how was your week? For the most part, it's pretty laid back. Didn't do a whole heck of a lot. Most of my time was consumed with soccer, so aside from that, like just doing the norm. You know, how about yourself? Fuck, I don't think I did a goddamn thing this week. Like, I tried to think of what I was going to say in this beginning part, and, like, I sat on my ass, played some video games. Yeah. Went to work. I did shit. Like, I watched the first season of Big Mouth two times already. <laughs> nice. Almost two and a half. <laughs> or not first season, third season, the latest season. I've seen the first season way more than that, but yeah, shit. No, I haven't really done fuck all this week, so I guess we can go straight into the fucking news. Yeah, so one of the things I'll lead off with, not necessarily that I'd like to lead off with it, but we'll go ahead and get this out of the way, is we talk about the fact that several times that actors in this genre, you know, they pass away from time to time, and unfortunately we didn't lose another actor, and that actor was Robert Forster. So for those who are or not familiar with him, he made possibly one of Hollywood's most heartwarming comeback stories when he was in Quentin Tarantino's Jackie Brown because it earned him an Oscar nomination, which is really neat. He also captained a spaceship in Disney's ambitious sci-fi thriller, The Black Hole, from 1979, which just arrived on Blu-ray this past summer. He was also in films such as Alligator. He was in the film Vigilante, Satan's Princess, Maniac Cop 3, Body Chemistry 3, Scanner Cop 2, Me, Myself, and Irene. He was in Mulholland Drive, Delta Force, all kinds of cool shit. So, unfortunately, like I said, he did pass away, and he was aged at 78. Damn. Was it just from old age? I don't know. I would imagine probably from some kind of complication. What? I don't know. Moving along, one of the bits of news we've talked about several times because of this actor, and that's Tom Atkins. Well... There is an upcoming documentary, and that documentary is all about the 80s. It's entitled In Search of Darkness. You can actually pre-order it right now. I think the sale ends on Halloween night. It's going for about 60 bucks. It's got a lot of cool shit, but if you're a fan of Tom Atkins, he does talk about a particular scene that he starred with Stacey Nelkin, and his wife happened to be in the movie, mm. and she was in the room next to him. And he actually talks about that. So if you're interested, you can check out the clip of Tom Atkins talking about Halloween 3. And some other stuff, in case you're just interested. I mean, they've got directors like John Carpenter. You can check out Barbara Crampton, Cassandra Peterson, who goes by Elvira. Yeah, Mick Garris, Doug Bradley, Heather Langenkamp, Joe Dante, Bill Mosley's on there, Caroline Williams. Just a slew of people. A lot of people we've talked about before. It's a good way if you weren't a part of that 80s wave of horror, or if you were and just want to reminisce and look back on that time period. They've got some really cool shit. So Nice. Yeah. <laughs> I might ponder that one. I don't know. 60 bucks is a little steep. Moving along, we have some news concerning David Cronenberg's remake, and that's Rabbit. So it is getting a premiere tomorrow, which is October 15th, at the Scream Fest. Scream Factory has announced a release date. And that release day is actually for Friday the 13th of December this year. Oh, that's coming up pretty soon, though. Yeah, so if it's playing around here, man, we might have to give it a go. Yeah. I think that'll be fun. See how the Sasuke sisters did. Yeah, I'm a fan of some of their works. Like, I've seen a good portion of their stuff, and it's usually pretty gory, pretty solid, pretty Canadian. (laughs) So, yeah. All right, some other news I have. There has been talks for at least the last three years that Warner Brothers are remaking Little Shop of Horrors with Greg Berlanti set to direct and Matthew Robinson writing the script. Well, they are eyeing Lady Gaga for the role of Audrey and Billy Porter for the talking and singing voice of the plant. Okay. Yeah. Berlanti, huh? Yeah. All right. He's producer on all the fucking CW superhero shows. Remember you were talking about that last week? Yeah. So that'll be interesting. I trust anything he does. He's built his own little empire over there. So good on him. Let's see how it all turns out. So, Well, cool. I've got two bits of news, and that kind of rounds out what I found interesting. So one of the two I have is that Russell Crowe is going to be playing a horror movie actor, <laughs> go figure, in a horror film from Kevin Williamson and the final girls team. So Amy Fortin and Joshua John Miller, they are the writers of the slasher comedy The Final Girls. 
It says that they have written and will be co-directing a brand new, it's untitled, horror film for Miramax. Miramax. Oh, shit. (laughs) Yeah, and so a little bit of the plot entails that a troubled actor, of course, we talked about Russell Crowe, begins to unravel while shooting a horror film. It says his estranged daughter wonders if he's slipping back into his past addictions or if there's something more sinister at play. That idea sounds fun. We'll see how it actually looks like it's going to play out. I'll be excited whenever we finally get, like, get like a, trailer a trailer or something. Yeah. That'll be interesting. I think I Russell, like Russell Crowe. Crow. Yes, I think he fits pretty well in the horror genre. I love Russell Crowe, so yeah, give it to me. There you go. Little... Let him sing on the soundtrack some 30-odd <laughs> foot of grunts. It'd be kind of gnarly, wouldn't it? All right, last bit of news I have is Sony's new Master of the Universe may end up going direct on Netflix. No, we do Which... know... That would make so much sense because Netflix is about to do an animated Masters of the Universe cartoon. Yeah, with Kevin Smith, right? Mm-hmm. Mark Bernardin. So that'd be pretty fun. So <clears throat> what I got here is that Sony had recently dated the film for a March 5th, 2021 release. But like I said, they actually might go direct to Netflix, which would make a lot of sense for the reasons you had just mentioned. Although- if I remember right, that date that you just said is like the third time it's been pushed back. I'm pretty hmm. sure they've been trying to put this movie into production for like four years now and keep having little like hangups and shit. Because yeah. I'm pretty sure last year sometime some of the like concept art for one of the first versions of the script that they were working on like came out and just give it over to <laughs> Netflix. They have like all the money right now. Oh yeah, I think I they've even be been right. losing money lately, and they still have all the money. And like, and it just makes sense. They're about to do Masters of the Universe anyway, so yeah, I think that'd be a perfect match. Yeah, like so that pretty much rounds out the news that I found interesting for the week. Like I said, aside from soccer, not a whole lot going on in my life. Just looking forward to Halloween, just right around the corner. That's right. I gotta figure out what I'm gonna go as, but yeah, I don't know. I work, got some time. I work Halloween. So yeah, I'm me too. too. It kind of sucks. Ah, uh, whatever. I'll get in an extra horror movie here or there. That's the other thing that sucks. Just my work schedule does not allow me to do like some fucking 31 days of Halloween. Like some of the motherfuckers out there. And I mean, it's the fall. All of the shows I like are coming back (laughs) on now. So, oh, it's rough. But I am going to try to get in an extra horror movie or two over the course of the next few weeks. And I mean, my Blu-ray copy of Three from Hell gets in tomorrow. And it's the unrated. So I want to see what they added. Nice. Since we did go see the theatrical cut. Yeah, we both gave our two cents on that. So I think it'll be a, a nice one to add, if mm. nothing else, yeah. Oh, I guess I already watched The Shining, so there I got something go. in. Yeah, exactly. That's, Still that's counts. Fun. Yeah, going to correct her. <laughs> anyway, let's get into the guts and bolts on Pumpkinhead. Ooh, Stan Winston. Yeah. So don't forget, we are running a little contest. Please hit us up. If you figured out what the theme of these three movies through the month of October leading up to Halloween, what they all pertain to that have been laid to rest, the craft, and now your very last clue. Which, if you listened all the way to the end last week, you already got, or you can just put together from the fact that this episode is entitled Pumpkinhead. That is laid to rest, the craft, and Pumpkinhead. If you guys can figure out what the theme has been for this Halloween season, then please email us, hit us up however you want to, like DM us, hit us up on Facebook, fucking carrier pigeon. We still don't know for sure what we're going to give you, but we'll fucking give you something. We're going to go out of our way. And the last time we did that, somebody got a sweet ass trophy. So think about it that way. We love you. Peace. Guts and Bolts. Alright, Pumpkinhead, 1988. Monster horror? Yeah, you can call it that. It is kind of a creature feature. It's it's a creature feature. I mean, how could it not be a creature feature? Yeah. It's Dry Stan. Yeah, it's Stan Winston. Anyway, synopsis I'll start with. Spoiler free. A man out in the sticks loses his only son to an accident when some outsiders swoop through and using some hillbilly magic gets the chance for some revenge but will it cost him too much dun 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 (laughs) yeah i think that's a good brief synopsis and of course from week to week we like to talk about our cast and our crew we've already mentioned our director who actually helped write a little bit of the story for this as well and that of course is stan winston 
Now, Stan is more famously known as a special makeup effects creator for some huge series. He gave us the fucking Velociraptors. Yeah. Like, this is Jurassic Park creature effects guy. Yeah. So you think Spielberg, if you've ever seen some effects for that. He worked on James Cameron's The Terminator. He's also known for the first two Predator films, Inspector Gadget, Iron Man, Edward Scissorhands. The Ghost in the Darkness. Yeah, dude. He worked with Michael Jackson on uh, Ghosts. He was a director on Ghosts. Yeah. I really dig Ghosts. It's pretty neat, man. So, I mean, he had his hands all over some really cool shit with horror. He kind of brought the makeups feel to a whole new height on some really cool projects. I actually think he worked on some stuff with The Thing and... Some other films of that nature, Friday the 13th Part 3, which is really cool. So some of his other directing credits are a gnome named Norm. He actually directed Guns N' Roses' You Could Be Mine music video. Ooh. And uh, yeah, I mentioned Michael Jackson's Ghost, which is really cool. So the other writers, and the first gentleman I have is Ed Justin. The poem inspired this film, I should say. Mark Patrick Garducci. He was one half of the screenplay and story writing team. He's known for his works on Neon Maniacs. He actually helped with an episode of Tales from the Dark Side back in 1987 and for the movie Buried Alive. I mentioned Stan Winston. Richard Wyman actually helped with the story as well. He's known for his works on Hard Time and The Hunter's Moon. He's actually a producer as well. And Gary Gerani is the other half of that writing team with Carducci. And he's known for his works on Vampirella, Confessions of a Teenage Supergirl, the film Convention, and the film Trading Paint. Our cinematographer on this film is Bojan Bazelli. He's known for such films as the comedy Tapeheads. Highly recommend that. It's a good one. Mm. He's also known for his work on the film Boxing Helena, which is a really wild film. It's actually um, David Lynch's daughter's first film. So it's her oh, directorial okay. debut. It's really good. It's mm. a pretty bizarre film. All right. Bojan's also known for his work as a DP on the films Body Snatchers, the film California with a K, with David Duchovny and Brad Pitt. Really good film, too. He's also the cinematographer on the film The Ring, which, of course, is the United States version. He was the DP on Mr. and Mrs. Smith, The Lone Ranger, and more recently, the film A Cure for Wellness. Okay. Our editor is Mark Manton. He's known for editing the films The Funny Farm, Breaking 2, Electric Boogaloo. Oh, shit. Yeah pretty well american ninja cyborg cop 2 lunar cop and Wishmasters 3 and 4 was that a bunch of golden and globus stuff that i just heard oh yeah dude like all those action films in the late 80s early 90s oh yeah oh, that's fun all right the music was composed by richard stone and when i saw some of his works i'm like wow this is pretty much my 90s childhood wrapped up in a nutshell so some of those works include tiny tune adventures the television show oh, okay from 1990 through 1992 tasmania the television series from 91 through 95 the television show freakazoid from 95 through 97 pinky in the brain from the same years 1995 through 1997 the Animaniacs from 1993 through 1998. I'm like, wow. I fucking loved Hysteria so much. But I will have to say, although he composed songs for Tiny Toon Adventures, the songs I remember most from Tiny Toon Adventures was when they did some They Might Be Giant songs on there. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Our special effects team is Stan Winston Studio. No surprise there. This was produced by Bill Blake, Howard Smith, and Richard Weinman. The production companies were De Laurentiis Entertainment Group and Line Films. The distributor was United Artists for the 1989 United States theatrical release and MGM United Artists Communications Corporation for all other media in 1989. The release date was actually on the day's date, October 14th, 1988. Oh, that's fucked up. Yeah. It actually had a USA limited release on that date, and then for the rest of the states, it premiered on January 13th, 1989. Wow, we did not plan that. No, it just coincidentally happens to be today's uh, 31st birthday for the film. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, happy 31st birthday, fucking Pumpkinhead. Yeah, we'll buy him a beer. All right. The budget was an estimated $3.5 million, and it grossed an estimated $4.39 million. I have two taglines for the film. And the first one I have is cruel, devious, pure as venom, all hell's broken loose. And the second one I have is actually a line out of the film as well. And that is, for each of man's evils, a special demon exists. 
That first one is kind of a paraphrasing of a line from the It really is, too. Well. So they're both yeah. kind of condensed lines, yeah. All right, so moving along, we have the cast of Pumpkinhead, which is a really good cast. And I'm going to lead off with our lead actor, and that is Lance Henriksen, who we've actually talked about before because we did three seasons of Hannibal, and he happened to be on an episode of Hannibal, which is really cool. So some of his other works, now imagine he's got 250 different credits to his name, so I can't go through all of them, but I can name a few that are actually kind of neat. So he was in Piranha Part 2, if you've ever seen that. Mm-hmm. He was actually in The Terminator as Detective Hal Vukovic. He was in Aliens, Near Dark. Of course, he's Bishop in Aliens. Yeah, dude. Two episodes of Tales from the Crypt, one from uh, 1990, one in 1991. He's also in Aliens Part 3, Super Mario Brothers, the film. I was about to say, do you want the first place I would have ever seen Lance Henriksen is He is the King. That's crazy. In the Super Mario Brothers movie. For all of like what, like thirty seconds? How that, how, how yeah. much do they show the king? Remember, I haven't seen that film in a long time, but yeah, not mm. a lot. One television series I remember him from because he was in it for a while, and it was pretty popular back then too. Was a television series Millennium. He played mm. the character Frank Black from ninety six through nineteen ninety nine. He was actually in Scream three. I mean, like I said, he's lent his voice and all kinds of shit. We've mentioned him before. Just one of those character actors you see a lot, especially in sci-fi, especially in horror. So it's really cool to see him in this film. All right, moving along, we have actor Jeff East. He plays the role of Chris. And really interesting credit he has, but I'll name a few before I get to that. He was in the films Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn. And 73 he was, and 74. He was so like the, the famous ones, right? Yeah. Like that's what I would count as the famous ones. And he played the young Clark Kent in the film Superman. Which, that's what's really cool to me. <laughs> now, I don't know how often I'll be able to mention this television series, but I did grow up watching it. And that show was First and Ten. He was on that from 1984 through 1986. And more recently, he was in the film Terminal. All right, moving along, I have actor John Kino. He plays the role of Joel. And he's been in such films as No Way Out. He was a part of Quantum Leap, the television series from 1989 through 1993. He was also in Sequest 2032 from 1993 through 95. One of the only reasons I wrote that down is because of Jonathan Brandis. We've Ooh. talked about it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was one of his big television series. He was uh, also in the television series That's My Bush <laughs> from 2001. You might have seen him in the JAG television series from 2000 through 2005. And and one I had more recently was from Dexter, the television series back in 2013. All right. I have Carrie Remsen. She plays the role of Maggie in the film. She was a part of A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, Freddy's Revenge. She was also in Ghoulies Part 2. She was in the films Two Moon Junction and White Man's Burden. Moving along, we have Kimberly Ross. She plays the role of Kim. She was in the Capital television series from 1982. You might have seen her in The Last Starfighter. And she was also in Nightmare at Noon. And if I'm not mistaken, she mentioned that this was her film debut as well. A lot of people get their film debuts in this. Next guy who's got his film debut in this film was Joel Hoffman. He was in such films as Slaughterhouse, Slumber Party Massacre Part 2, and Not of This Earth. All right, next actress I have is Cynthia Bain. She plays the role of Tracy. She was in Knott's Landing television series in 1987. I forgot that there was this many people in this fucking movie. A lot. And she was also in a film, Spontaneous Combustion, with another actor in this film. All right. Next actress I have is Florence Schauffler. She plays the role of Haggis in the film. (laughs) She was in the film Bachelor Party. She was also in Problem Child and The Favor. All right. Next actor I have is Brian Bremer. He plays the role of Bunt in the film. He was in such films as Brian Usna Society. He was also in Spontaneous Combustion with Cynthia Bain. He was in the film Silent Night, Deadly Night, Part 5, The Toymaker. How many more of those? I don't know. I was like, Part 5? Fucking hell. But he was also more recently in the film Why Did I Get Married? Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah, it was really cool. All right, next actor, we've actually talked about him a couple of times. More importantly, because he was in a lot of John Carpenter films, but that is George Buck Flower. He plays the role of Mr. Wallace, and we talked about him because of Wishmaster. But some of his other roles, he was in Back to the Future 1 and 2. He was in They Live, Starman, The Fog. He's just like one of those character actors. Always popped up kind of like a hobo and mm-hmm. some other kind of little bit parts. But it's really cool. I think he was also in Gremlins, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, I think you might be right. Yeah. 
All right, moving along, we have Matthew Hurley plays the role of Billy Harley in the film. He went and did some uncredited roles, but some of those roles include the film's Blank Check. He was in the film Eight Seconds. He was also in Batman and Robin. He was also in Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. And more recently, he was in the film I Know What You Did Last Winter. What? <laughs> that's what I said. I was like, okay. Um, that's... Did you happen to look it up? No, I didn't. I was like, that's a little different, but I, you know. I'm going to look it up while you talk about the next person. I'm curious. Okay, so the next actress I have actually makes her debut as well, which is kind of I got to know if it's a knockoff or a parody. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, the way it sounds, it sounds like it could be a parody. So the next actress actually said she makes her film debut, and that's Maya Bialik. She plays one of the Wallace kids. Now, there was a film my sister Ashley used to rent a ton in the 80s, and that film was Beaches because she was also in that. She was also part of the Webster television series from 1988 through 1989. She was also, more famously, in the television series Blossom from 1990 through 1995. And more recently, she's in The Big Bang Theory, which aired from 2010 until more recently through 2019. It's just straight up a fucking horror movie that has wow. no connection. That's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Nuts, man. Right. Action horror in the snow-filled mountains. All right. Next actress I have is Devin Odessa. She plays the role of Hesse. She was in such films as Uncle Buck, which her role in that was additional voices. I don't know what that pertains to. <laughs> she was also a part of the My So Cult Life television series from 1994 through 95. And she was also in the film with Rachel True, who we talked about last week, in the film Nowhere. Another actor we've actually talked about before, he's got a shit ton of credits because he's mostly a stuntman. He played the shape in Halloween Part 2. Oh, yep. And that is Dick Warlock, who plays Good the role old of Clayton Dick Heller. Warlock. One of the best names, I think, in Hollywood. It's a stuntman for um, fucking Kurt Russell on Escape from New York. Dude, like, if you want to just take a look at his filmography... Just a few of his stuff is like he was in Firestarter, did stunts in that, Escape from New York, Inner Space, The Abyss, Spider Man, shit like that. So just a ton, a ton of credits to his name. If you're more curious, like, so you can check it out on the database. All right, moving along, we have Greg Michaels, who plays the role of Hillman in the film. He was in such things as the X Files television series back in 1997, he was also in The 13th Warrior. And uh, he was also part of the Stargate SG-1 television series from 1999. All right, next actor I have is Tom Woodruff Jr. He plays the role of Pumpkinhead in the film. And some really cool roles that he's been in. He was in Aliens. He was also the Gill Man in the Monster Squad. He was a Graboid in Tremors. He was also in Tales from the Crypt back in 1990. He was in Alien Part 3. I think he played Goro in Mortal Kombat. He was in Alien Resurrection. He was like various animals in Jumanji. He was also in Hollow Man, Evolution, Alien vs. Predator, and Alien vs. Predator Requiem. And he's probably more well-known for his special effects as well. He actually helped create mm -hmm. Pumpkinhead. Next actor I have is Lee Debro. He plays well, all of Tom Harley. won an Academy Award for his visual effects work on Death Becomes Her. That's pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. All right. So Lee DeBro, he plays the role of Tom Harley, and he's got a wealth of credits, but some of those roles include such things as Sal in Robocop, he was a policeman in Chinatown, he was in Above the Law, he was also in Hunter's Blood, just some really cool credits to his name. Moving along, we have Peggy Walton Walker, she plays the role of Ellie Harley. She was in the Columbo television series in 1990, she was in the film Factory Girl, in the film Hate Ship, Love Ship. I've got a few more actors, and that'll kind of round out our cast. I have Chance Michael Corbett. He plays the role of young Eddie Harley in the film. He was in the films The Lost Boys. He was also in Major Dad, the television series in 1990. He was a part of the film The Rocketeer, and more recently in Hallow's Eve. Hmm. Yeah. All right, we have Madeline Taylor Holmes. She plays the role of Old Hill Woman. She was in Flight to Tangier. The Outlaw Josie Wells and the film Fatso. And the last role I have is our dog, Mushroom, yeah. plays the role of Gypsy. A little bit of trivia, I wanted to save it, but I might go ahead and just say it now. Was he was also Barney in the film Gremlins from nineteen eighty four. Oh fuck. That was Barney? Yeah. Okay. It's like hell yeah, that's pretty cool. So we got a famous dog on set. 
did all his stunts as well. Mushroom might be the second most famous person in this after Lance Henriksen. Arguably, yeah. <laughs> Arguably. Especially at that time. Yeah, especially at the time. Well, shit. Went through the people, went into this. I guess warnings. Yeah, we should give you some warnings on this one. Language, a little bit of gore, some yeah. violence, yep. a big nasty creature. Yeah, there's some sacrilegious things that are going on. Not um, a lot, but there are some. Right. I think that covers it. I mean, there's some child stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. I do have to say that without spoiling oh, too I much. I mean, I guess we already said yeah. that in the I mean, we've alluded so. to it, so. But yeah, if you're not comfortable with that. I think that's it, though. It's kind of a straight ahead yeah. monster shows up and fucks some people up movie. So. <laughs> yeah, so if you're not comfortable with monsters, this might not be your bag of tea. Oh, and go watch it yourselves if you yeah, haven't yet. Yeah. It's, I watched it on Prime. It's fucking simple right now, so we're going to talk about it. How does that make you squeal? All right, here we are, fucking pumpkin head. I have a feeling you might have more of a history than I do with this movie, because I don't have much of a history with this movie. I saw it when I was young, but I've seen it maybe all of one and a half times, with half of a time catching like the back half on Showtime back in the day. And then I probably haven't seen it in about 20 years. Yeah, it's been a hot minute since I've watched it as well. But growing up, it was one of those films where because of the atmosphere it created... It was one of those I didn't watch a whole lot because it kind of spooked me a little bit when I was younger. That's the one thing. Okay, yeah. You say what you're going to say, but that's one thing I needed to make note of, though, from this. But it was one during the rental periods in the 90s. On occasion, I would rent just, you know, because I hadn't seen it in so long, I'd rent it. But yeah, it's one I hadn't seen probably since, uh, I want to say, sometime about 10 years ago or so with a couple of buddies of mine. So it's been a little while since I've watched it. But one I, like I said, I'd seen a couple of times growing up. The thing that stood out to me about Pumpkinhead is I was scared of the monster. And it wasn't like a lasting fear. But while it was on screen, I was like, nope, fuck that noise. Yeah, no, you right. know what I mean? Like when I was little, I was like, nope, 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 nope. <laughs> Everything about that is nope for me right now. But it wasn't the sort of thing where like then that night I'd think Pumpkinhead was in uh, my fucking closet uh, or something like that. But I do remember like I only saw it one and a half times when I was young is because... I would usually avoid it after that halftime when it was on Showtime. A whole bunch of nope. Yep. (laughs) I probably had the chance to watch it a lot more times than that, that I intentionally passed up. But I did remember, like, the monster in the church and shit. Like, that that really stuck out. There's some iconic scenes in this film. Yeah, so it's one that we had mentioned, too, as a part of our three-part series that we're doing leading into Halloween which is cool. So this film is being your last hint, so keep that in mind too. But we did choose this one with a purpose, and it just coincidentally happens to be its 31st birthday as well, which is really cool. That's insane. I did not think that we'd have that kind of... No, I was kind of perusing around you know, social media, and I've seen a couple of films pop up today as it's like premiere date, you know, okay. various years, but this definitely being one of them. <laughs> so I was like, cool, it's going to be a fun episode, get to celebrate its birthday and. Sort of way, I suppose. So, yeah. Yeah. So, let's see. So, this time around, though, how did this movie make me squeal? I mean, I liked it. It's not the greatest. No, I agree with you there. I don't think there's much that I can say that would be bad about this movie. It's just nothing that stands out other than the creature effects themselves. I mean, anytime Pumpkinhead's on screen, it's awesome because... You're looking at Pumpkinhead because Stan Winston ran this fucking movie and had the help of Tom Woodruff Jr. in the fucking suit, who's a fucking special effects guru in his own right, and Pumpkinhead looks amazing, and it's because they had a giant fucking guy in a suit. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's really cool. So they had some really good special effects makeup artists on this, and a lot of the guys, too, you know, they mentioned the fact that Stan Winston really helped that field, you mm-hmm. know, and then being able to work on a project where he was mainly focusing on directing and the story and letting them have creative freedom with the creature effects. So along with Pumpkinhead, I also really, really dig the makeup effects they did on Haggis, the actress who played oh. her as well. She pretty much wore about 65 pounds of like makeup and costume and at her age, she was born in 1920, and I think this stuff was done around 87, so she okay. was like 67. 
you know, and having to put on that performance under all that makeup, I think they did a great job on her. Some of the shit they do with the, even uh, Lance Henriksen's face, yeah, looks really at the good. end of the movie is really cool too. Especially because it's kind of subtle, but they do do shit towards, other than the eyes aren't subtle at all, but there's some other shit that goes on that I almost didn't even notice the first time through, but I'm like, oh, there's a little bit of prosthetics there, there's a little bit of prosthetics there, like... Yeah, so they knock it out of the ballpark, and a lot of that stands up because it is practical, all of it is practical, actually. Just overall, like, I don't know, this is another movie, too, where I, I love some of the ideas in it, I mean... They don't even try to go into any of the other demons. We just find out that there are other demons. Right. And it's like the most throwaway fact ever. Well, I can understand that to an extent, too. Because... I can understand that to an extent. Right. But... I know what you're saying, because there's a lot to explore within that realm. And this is the one that we do have. So to kind of coincide with that thought, perhaps, is the two writers, when they had got together, this is like way back in the 70s, so the concept for quote-unquote pumpkin head because that wasn't really quite the idea right the pumpkin head was from the poem and right. then the writers had this other idea and they were just like cool it, it does kind together. of combine it yeah when so. the producer that had the pumpkin head rights found the writers they were yeah, like it was a match made let's in merge these ideas yeah so uh gerani one of the guys who wrote it he and carducci they had a title of a story it was called seven gargoyles of satan Oh, I love that. Yeah, and it was supposed to be set in the backwoods pertaining to the seven sins of man. That sounds super old school, too. That sounds like a fucking 50s horror movie. Well, a lot of it was because they said some of the costume design for Pumpkinhead, or at least the idea of him, was based off of the Gill Man from Creature from the Black Lagoon. Okay. So it makes sense. Like, you know, they grew up watching those styles of horror films, and this is their homage to that. Seven Gargoyles of Satan. Yeah. Man, 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 but it was man, man, man. Bill Blake, the uh, producer, was friends with Ed Justin. And Ed mm-hmm. Justin wrote a book. And in that book, he had the poem, Pumpkinhead, written for his grandchildren. And that kind of brought the attention to, I think it was uh, Weinman. Yeah. Because he and Blake were like buddies at NYU back in the 60s. So... That's they how bought they the th- rights on the cheap, right? Because they're like, "Oh, we're gonna we can use the concept of that," and then we have these writers who happen to have a, a similar idea, you know, and they kind of ran with it. So I think that's why they focused on it because in, in that story itself, vengeance was like the motif. And I guess I'm not entirely like you don't have to explain every single thing right. because then the movie can get bogged down in different ways, but. I don't know. I guess overall, the movie just left me wanting in some ways, and that's something that I can latch on to. No, I understand. <laughs> I completely understand. So one of the things that bothered me early on, but, I mean, it's just a you know way to move the plot, is the kid getting hit with the motorcycle. It's like, yeah, I know, but I don't know if I believed it. <laughs> well, okay, so we're going to back up even further. Right. So Because my first note was the first thing that sort of tore me about this movie. And we get that sort of cold opening and the flashback that establishes oh, yeah. Pumpkinhead and all that shit. But they show him to you. And I'm like, I'm happy to see Pumpkinhead because it looks really good. Now there's no, like, tension build up to what the fuck is Pumpkinhead. We know what Pumpkinhead is because we saw it in the first five yeah, minutes you, of the movie. Yeah, you get it, right. And now it's just a countdown until we get to see Pumpkinhead again, which isn't until like almost 50 minutes into the movie (laughs) yeah it does take a while doesn't it after that first time you see him it's like another 45 minutes until you see him again (laughs) and i'm like why did you have to show him you could even have all the shit that happened to him just happen like barely off screen right like where pumpkin head is like obscured by like a fucking tree or something and all you see is like the hand reaching out or something right something alluding to it and then do the full reveal later yeah. One thing I do like about the exploration of Pumpkinhead is when Lance has to go to the pumpkin patch to get the body out. Oh, right. And then the whole transformation of the pumpkin into Pumpkinhead. I really like that. That was fucking pretty gnarly. Yeah. No, that was really good. Okay. Anyway, where were we? So that's the beginning. Then we were going to go on. What was the next thing that you were saying? Oh, the only about, thing. Oh, I... the kid getting fucking hit. Yeah, you're right. But we do have to mention that Dick Warlock is the guy who has Pumpkinhead going after him in the beginning of the film. That's who he is. Oh, right. Yeah, and I was like, all right, that's cool. There's Dick Warlock. Well, then that's the next thing. Right. I needed to point out, 
fuck Joel from the start. <laughs> like, right? Like, I get, like, having... You guys are, like, you have all your group of friends and you're going to make this fucking trip, right? And you're <laughs> going to go and do this shit. And dude's supposed to be badass at biking? I don't fucking know. Like, they didn't make it out like he was a celebrity of any kind. <laughs> yeah. Just that, like, oh, no, dude's really fucking good. You got to see. Dude, bro. <laughs> and I can even understand, to, like, an extent, like, them putting up with someone who's a little bit of a dick. But it's clear from the get-go that, like... They shouldn't have invited Steve even so that neither of them would have came. Yeah. And they could have just had a nice time out because Joel is the worst. Well, Once you get to know story. him, he's a great guy. And then it cuts to him and he's just like, yo, hand me a beer while I'm driving down the road. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Apparently there was supposed to be like a diner scene before that shit. And it was one of those things that Stan Winston apparently only argued about to De Laurentiis at the time. Do you know that is? It's like he wanted to keep the scene in. I guess it was just to give them a little bit more backstory. It probably wouldn't have made a big difference. But you're right. Joel's is a horrible character (laughs) at the beginning of this film. I mean, throughout to him. He serves a purpose, right? You don't feel anything for him. Yeah, He's a dick. And you get to the place and he's immediately a dick to the kid. Yeah. Then the kids are being dicks to each other. So when the kids are taunting and they're talking about Pumpkinhead, they bring up what happened to old Mr. Foley. (laughs) What do you think happened to Mr. Foley? Like, well, like, why do you think Pumpkinhead got sicked on him? Mr. Foley? <laughs> yeah. This doesn't seem to be a reference to the beginning of the movie, way back, like, 30 years ago or whatever, in right. 57. This seems to be recent. something that happened recently. Yeah. Because the kid knew him. He's like, no, he moved away. <laughs> so what do you think? Because huh. I think there, there's Lugry? only so many things. I know, that's what I was like. <laughs> it, was, it was like it was only sicked on one person. Yeah. Nobody's mentioning anybody having getting killed, so they're keeping it more hush hush. <laughs> so was Mister Foley touching on them kids? I say that could be that, or like says some uh, some buggery, <laughs> things of that nature. I was like, shit, that sucks. And also, if you're in that area, like you know, Pumpkinhead can get sicked on you. I know. Don't be fucking around. This isn't like that bullshit, like... <laughs> well, that, that too draws to come to the point. It's like, do you want to be living somewhere where there's something like that roaming <laughs> at any given moment? Yeah, that too. Oh. I mean, it, it, seems like, it seems like it's only barely believed in, though. But then shit happens, like... Yeah, not a coincidence. All the adults know, I guess. It's just the kids that barely believe in it. They're like, nah, it's just fucking boogie. Yeah, to them, it's just an urban legend at this point. But at this point in their lives, they've had to have been kept indoors like three or four times, right? Yeah. Prob- Mr. Foley yeah. isn't the first in their lifetime. <laughs> People are using Pumpkinhead. Yeah, I think it has a reputation. Because that goes to my next question. So we sort of jumped ahead to like the digging up a Pumpkinhead and we can get into all of that. But it's all because the witch knows what to do. Right, right. Some movies make it more clear than others. This one makes it not clear at all. <laughs> what does the witch get out of this? I don't know. Experience. I mean, there's no right answer. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, there's no, no, it's no, very ambiguous. It's yeah. very ambiguous. Some movies make it clear. You know what I mean? With, with these sort of deals, it's like, oh, this is... And it seems like she's probably been living forever because... Yeah, I mean, that's just one of the things she does. One of the things she knows. Mm-hmm. But there was also like, what's to gain for her just being like... Oh, no, this is how you fuck your life over by <laughs> agreeing to set this fucking revenge bot on the, the it could people be her around curse. here. Yeah. I mean, it could be one of those things that she has to keep going. Which, this is only going to result in less people living around here, <laughs> which means less people that can come and ask for this and exchange yeah. something. You gotta and, space it out. <laughs> and I'm an old lady, and how am I even living out in the woods right now? All right. <laughs> And when point. they said her name was Haggis, I fucking, like, chortled. You can't help but... I'm like, what? Movie, am I supposed to take this seriously or not? <laughs> <laughs> that's on the nose, isn't it? So much. It's weird. I mean, going through the but first such time, like too. A con- that's such, like, a almost like Robin Hood Men in Tights sort of move, you know what I mean? It like, kind of is. And I'm like, but this isn't a comedy. No, not Because then you get fucking Pumpkinhead. Because when Pumpkinhead kills, like, it's it plays with them. You know what I mean? It pretty much super strong and can regenerate instantly. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't have to fuck around the way it does, but it but fucks it with does them. fuck with them. It, yeah. You're right. It does lend a little bit of dark comedy to it. Anyway, back to the kid. 
yeah, backing up too. The kid and Lance, they have a you know a pretty good bond. I read a little bit into it, saw what happened is Lance had bought the actual kid a rabbit because oh. the kid was into rabbits back then, and they kind of formed a bond. It just made it easier for the kid to be on set working with Lance and trust him. Anyway, they have like a little endearing moment where they're washing hands, and Lance said that he ad-libbed that line. He said because that was something he remembered growing up was his grandma had like really thin hands. He said it felt nice when she washed your hands. So he's like, he just threw that in. Apparently he likes to get into characters so much that he'll bring his own props, whether he finds them at pawn shops or from movie sets. He says every character he brings something unique to it. And yeah, even the coins he uses to bargain with Haggis. Okay. He said all that shit he found at pawn shops. And anyway, there's a story about him dropping them through slits in the home and they went in the mud. So they might still be there. Oh, wow. (laughs) Probably doubt it, but yeah. But I was just like, oh, it's kind of neat. Like he actually gets into character. But anyway, what the kid is, uh, you get the introduction to like, Ed Harley and the kid, they have a like a little fruit stand or whatever it is. And all that stuff feels genuine up until the point where the dirt bike dudes are out there doing their thing. And one of the gals does the most white thing ever. Also, she what trips. a dick move. Like, they're just stopping to what? Like, why are they even stopping to get gas? I guess just why to get, like, make, supplies or something. Just to get some, some supplies. and Ride the hills. <laughs> they already think that, like, Joel's being a dick. And then he just takes off, so now they can't even leave until he gets back with his fucking bike. That's so 80s, bro. <laughs> That's what I kept thinking. I was like, this is such 80s movies right here. Mm-hmm. This is like totally 80s movies. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, long story short is Lance has to go back because he forgot some feed, seed, whatever, to Mr. Wallace. And the kid goes out because the dog is chasing the dirt bikes. And then that's first dude misses, second guy clips the kid. It had been a while since I saw this. Yeah. I thought they were going to hit both the dog and the kid. I and was anticipating that. I sure was. Because it's like, oh, the first thing you're going to hear is a yelp. And then you're going to see the kid get whacked. Because <laughs> I already knew about that part. But I forgot. Well, at this point, too, I'm like, they're just going to continue to make Joel a dick. So he might not even get hit by a bike. <laughs> like, Joel might fucking, like, push him and he rolls down the fucking hill weird or something. I know. Like, I was like, man, mm. <clears throat> I know the kid's supposed to die, but that was quick. That dude, that kid was fragile is what I thought. <laughs> that kid was super fragile. So this morning I, I didn't feel it as much when I rewatched it the second time. But last night as I was sitting there super stoned watching this movie <laughs> and like kid just got hit by the bike and he's just center frame, just bruised, <laughs> battered body for like <laughs> no. five minutes straight. And I'm like, this is kind of fucking depressing. <laughs> I mean, it kind of is. It really is. And I started thinking to myself, I'm like, and I was advocating for more kids getting killed in ice cream, man, but I'm not going to lie, like, I'm just, like, sitting there, like, I know a lot of guys that used to fucking, like, ride dirt bikes and shit, like, one of the guys probably got in a wreck where he shouldn't have lived, like, he looked a lot like that, I bet. Mm. That sucks. Yeah, it's not a pretty sight. But then the second time through, I'm just like, okay, yeah, I'm good. (laughs) Kids down. Kid down. Well, let's get on to the next thing. Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) So that's, of course, where the story really kind of takes off, right? It, it becomes a story of vengeance. You know, and it has to make a deal, a bargain, essentially, right? So then we see Joel become Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We shouldn't gloss over that fact because that is essential to, like, some weird shit in this film, I so feel like. it kind of ties into why fucking Lance wants them all dead and the fact that they left and shit. But they were all trying to get something done. right. After Joel left, the biggest fuck-up was Steve should have been explaining a whole shit ton more of what just (laughs) happened to Lance Henriksen when he showed up. I know, right? He shouldn't have just been like, hey, over here. (laughs) Like, I think your boy's dead. (laughs) Yeah, when that fucking truck pulled up, he should have been running over there. He should have been like, they went to try to get a fucking phone because you don't have one. But he's just like, come on over. Come over here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, your kid. <laughs> we good? Yeah. Uh, you just looked at me like you want to kill me, so I'm going to continue being quiet when I should have been explaining a whole lot more. Yeah, he right froze. <laughs> he fucked up a lot. Because well, that was I mean, their brothers, Because that was one of the things, though, like, the dad kept mentioning they killed him and they left, left him. him. Yeah. It wasn't he left them. They left them. And 
I think if he would have just even <laughs> explained, like, they went to try to find a phone, maybe only half the people get killed. That's a really good point. I mean, I even thought that, too. I basically wrote down, five of six want to call for help. Joel does because he's been drinking and it's on probation. <laughs> <laughs> like, this has happened before because the really attractive brunette was like, she was explaining, she's like, no, he's already in trouble for something that happened prior. He's on probation. Like, then what the fuck are you doing out there drinking and, and hot rodding it? I'm like, ah, oh, you guys fucked up. Then he turns also, real dick. You picked a real winner. Yeah, he turns real dick when he grabs the keys from Gal, starts pushing the girls, <laughs> gets in the fight with old, was it Steve or whatever that dude's name is? Oh, Chris. Chris, yeah, Chris. And Chris wallops him. That Chris was hits awesome. him good, but he, you got to finish. <laughs> and he didn't finish. But then they get trapped in the closet. <laughs> trapped in the closet. Yeah, I was like, man, this movie, that is... Can't get out of the closet. When's the last time you've seen that in a film? <laughs> Where they're trapping people in closets, holding people hostage in the home. Oh, man. And that's another part where I'm just like, <laughs> the girls, okay, so the one's freaked out. Yeah. But whatever. There's still enough of the others who, at this point, I understand them going along with what Joel is asking them to do at this point for fear of also getting walloped in the head with a log <laughs> and tossed in the fucking closet. Yeah. <laughs> but they need to be finding a time to pull Steve aside and be like, this shit's crazy. You need to help us out. Yeah. This, like, this is fucked. And we need to, like, your brother's crossed the line at this point. We need to do something about his ass because. Yeah, he's acting a fucking fool right now. Because we just left a kid to fucking die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what this movie's about, dude. Come on. And they were acting very realistic at first. And it was only... And then it just once, got shut down. It's once Joel becomes fucking psycho ripping a fucking phone out of the goddamn... <laughs> yeah, the wall. Out of the yeah. wall. That's when it gets all fucky. Moving along, I think that's when it starts to get into with... Um, when uh, Lance Hendrickson talks to Wallace and the kid finds out, Bunt that is, he mm -hmm. becomes a central figure in the film. And I think he did a really good job. Oh, the yeah, actor. me too. I was like, yeah, that's a pretty good character. I, I really like that. But he's the one that leads him to Haggis. Haggis tells Ed what to do. He does it. Like I said, one of my favorite moments actually in the film is when she cuts his hand, they do the exchange of the blood and stuff. Oh, wait. First, her name was Haggis. Well, yeah. <laughs> then I want to. She, he's like, "Where will I know to dig or you'll whatever?" Know it, Harley. And yeah, you'll know. And then you get there, and it's like this raised column, like eight foot in the air, and it's like, "Is this a fucking video game?" Or <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Or is is this like a cartoon? Like this shit only appears in like fantasy fucking movies. Well, the right, way here, but here. I thought it was really cool looking. Yeah. <laughs> I really liked the set design. It just didn't seem to fit in with. I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. The set designer, she was a part of like one of the special features, and she talked about that. She's like, it looked she, like something out of fucking Tim Burton. She said that she was inspired by like certain paintings and certain concepts of like burial mounds and whatnot. Mm. And she's the one who proposed the idea to Stan Winston to have, like, a, a mound where that happens amongst a pumpkin patch, you know, and having, like, the earth connected to the mound, seating him up. I honestly think that I would have liked it more if the witch wouldn't have also been named Haggis. Because you get the one thing <laughs> yeah. right into the other, and it's like this... Well, I mean, it is really on the nose, man. Mm -hmm. It really is. And it's like, ah... Uh, yeah, you could have named her anything except for Haggis. <laughs> But I really do like her character, though. Oh, yeah, me too. It was really dope. But uh, moving along, once Pumpkinhead does start to reveal himself and starts to take them out, I thought it's like, all right, so the, <laughs> here we go. This the is The Pumpkinhead growing up was super cool. Yeah, that's what I'm getting at. That's one of my favorite scenes. The very first time you see it, I just called it Little Newly Pink Pumpkinhead. Mm -hmm. Did it look a little bit like Sam to you? I was going to ask you that, actually. It's like, maybe we're seeing an origin story of Sam from Trick or Treat. Maybe that he looked a lot like Sam. Maybe he didn't quite grow up. It was halted. It's, it got stopped. Mm -hmm. <laughs> maybe he can just choose to. You're right. Maybe it was he... a kid asking for help. I don't know. Maybe it's there's just I an mean, idea. <laughs> for being a demon of vengeance, Pumpkinhead is pretty fucking powerful, but not as powerful as you would think that like the demon assigned to vengeance would be. You know what I mean? So yeah. maybe there's more than one. So good point. Pumpkinhead's one, and Sam is one, and he does things his own way. That's a good point. You're right. Maybe he's another one of the six. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I do like a lot of that. I do like when you do finally get to see Pumpkinhead attack and. It's like, all right, this is where the horror for me, like the nostalgia starts to come back. 
It's like, yeah, this is part of the reason why I didn't watch it a whole lot either is because it's like that creature looked a little bit too real. And not knowing at the time there was an actual dude in there walking around makes it a lot different when you're of a certain age. But it's like, man, you got to give your hats off or just a, a nod to Tom Woodruff for doing that too. Like his posturing and stuff. It's really good. All the makeup looked good. Mm-hmm. Once Pumpkinhead started attacking, things weren't this laid out for every single one of the victims. But one of the things I did kind of like, I feel like it was specific enough that they probably paid attention to it, is that Steve got picked off first, Mm -hmm. which makes sense because he was the last one talking to fucking Lance Henriksen. Okay, yeah, makes sense. And so he's the one that would have stood out freshest in his mind. Yeah, because we learned that it's just like a reflection, basically. Mm -hmm. And he just kind of gets battered around for a bit. So that they can have his body back all beaten up like he had his kid. Good point. That was just something I noticed. I also liked Pumpkinhead being a demon, (laughs) fucking with Maggie. Yeah, that was awesome. (laughs) He does fuck with her. And fucking carving the cross into her forehead. Oh, yeah. That was fucked up. There was a little bit of... That was cool, but it was fucked up. There was a little bit of talk about that because they used that as like one of the posters for promoting the film. Mm-hmm. And there was a couple of people in the cast who weren't really comfortable with that because they felt it was a little sacrilegious. But, you know, like it's, like, it's a film. It's a story. It's not supposed to be real life. <laughs> However, it's good, I was kind of disappointed with Pumpkinhead destroying the cross. <laughs> <laughs> he had a moment. Like he I, had a moment. <laughs> I feel like I might have done a better job of destroying that cross. And I'm not a fucking eight-foot-tall demon. <laughs> That's like, a good point. It was just like, I don't know. That was... That was a little dark comedy, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, that one's more of a chuckle. I, I give you that. One thing I noted, too, I know we talked about the fact that the score, the composition mm-hmm. of this film is coming out soon on double vinyl. And I was like, all right. I noticed one thing we noticed, like, we don't really remember the music. I started thinking, it's like, there's some good moments where it's really atmospheric. And then there are some moments where I'm like, I don't know if I'd want to get this on vinyl, per se. It's like, it's not a bad soundtrack. I mean, and if you're a giant but, Pumpkinhead uh, fan, like, I get that. Yeah, I get that too, but I'm like, ah, it doesn't really, like, stand out a whole lot. I mean, there are certain moments that it's like, ooh, it, it fits the mood. It creates atmosphere. But aside from that, it just kind of carries the plot along of nothing else. It, nothing really stands out to me. Pushing her through the fucking glass is awesome. That was dope. It makes I wrote girl down, pass out. It happens really quickly, <laughs> but I wrote down that it's still kind of brutal, honestly. Like, it is. The way he just shoves her in. It makes girl pass out. Then it makes Joel swing the machete at him and he gets fucked up. Takes girl off and jumps all the way in a tree. I'm like, now he's really fucking with him. And just drops girl to her death. I'm like, oh, that was kind of brutal, too. Mm-hmm. So all these deaths are kind of like... All right, this is starting to pay off a little bit with this film, like because the deaths are actually pretty decent. What are those? Like the first three of the bunch: Steve, yeah. Maggie, and then Kim. I think her name is. I think you're right. Yeah. So those three get whacked. The other three are still around. Ed finally starts to want to make like he. I guess he starts to see the victims and see what it, his vengeance is causing. Mm-hmm. So he has a change of heart. I like how all that. Played I mean, out it, too. it's good. I mean, I think it did a good job of that doing that. That was cool. I thought that was a good way of doing it because, I don't know, I think there was a couple ways in my head that it was going to play out and I can't think of what those are now because I was dumb and didn't make a note of it last night when I was actually having these thoughts. But I remember like it being a little bit of a surprise, like, oh no, that's a neat way of like still keeping him involved in the story and bringing it back around. And Yeah, exactly. Because I mean, this story really is just, is a tale of nothing else, of morality you know this is what happens when you hatred yeah and vengeance and yada yada so in that sense it does have a moral fiber a moral thread but then it has those moments of sacrilege which i really like (laughs) it's like it has those iconic moments with pumpkin head going through that burnt down church Mm -hmm. and then you know having his little moment with the cross there (laughs) but it's like the lighting looked good the kid is like you know he knew he was coming it's just moments like that i think once again Growing up, it's like that was the scene that would probably pull me out as a kid. Seeing that, I'm like, yeah, no, I'm good. <laughs> Let's oh, watch yeah. something else. <laughs> so yeah, uh, for sure, I love the fucking little detail of Pumpkinhead's face changing as it kills the victims and gets closer and closer to its vengeance. Yeah, and it looks more and more like Lance Henriksen. And Lance Henriksen, towards the very end, his eyes start to like 
super That's fucking good. bug out and shit. And his starts to become a little bit more like Pumpkinhead. And... You're right, because you feel that merger. Mm-hmm. So what happens if you only like have one victim in mind? Oh, do you go full? She just immediately, like that first kill, just you're like, oh shit. Possibly, yeah. I mean, it is uh, a heavy price to pay, right? Mm-hmm. Comes with a heavy price. Then we find out that Lance Henriksen's the worst shot of all time. <laughs> oh my god! All right, Jesus I mean, is there Christ. anything you wanted to get to before we went that? Not far necessarily. Into it? I mean, like I said, the kid once again. I think not the little kid, but Bunt. Like I said, his character was good. I did want to throw in before we get too far into this that they actually recite some of the poem mm. when they're teasing the little brother about Pumpkinhead in the beginning of the film. So that shit that they're saying is actually from the poem. Oh right, and the right. poem is pretty dark. <laughs> oh. Joel getting impaled on the fucking rifle was pretty good. That was good. The guy who played the part, right, he said that at that particular moment, because they were shooting at like 2 and 3 o'clock in the morning, he said he hadn't really eaten anything all day. And then when he got hoisted up like that, he said, I had some of the worst stomach cramps Mm -hmm. and then having to, you know, pretend like I was doing this shit for hours. And he's like, it sucked, but he said, it looked really good. (laughs) So there was some of that. But yeah, that looked really good. Yeah, there's just some moments that I wasn't really anticipating and it kind of made me like, all right, even though this film is kind of basic, the story doesn't really stand out per se. It's good. It's easy to follow. There's nothing to it. But I think more than anything is Lance Henriksen kills it. You get this special makeup effects and the creature is really fucking dope. And, you know, there's something to hold on to a little mm-hmm. bit, I guess. It's and it hillbilly kinda, magic. Hillbilly magic. It's like some of this reminds me a little bit of the Appalachians. Mm-hmm. Like if... If you're familiar with parts of North Carolina and South Carolina, Tennessee, all that shit, kind of feels like a little bit. So there's attention to detail there, even though this is shot out in California. They said they shot it like north of L.A. in Topeka Canyon. Part was filmed around where A Little House on the Prairie was filmed. Okay. Like one of the cabins. So it's like, all right, I can see that. So, yeah, there was some attention to detail there. But in the end, Lance Henriksen's a terrible shot. He really is. That's kind of what it narrows it down to. Because it's like, oh, okay, we know that as long as Lance Henriksen is being injured, so is Pumpkinhead. That's the only way you can injure it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, yeah, he's going to blow his brains out. But then he gets out of the car and falls down. I was thinking that, too. It's like, what? <laughs> what the hell? Was that both the entry and exit wounds that you saw on the side of his head where he just sort of like grazed like the right side a bit? And... All right, all right maybe this was like his last bit of salvation instead of actually he had like second thoughts. Yeah. He's like, I still want to reach salvation. So I can't kill myself, but I can get somebody else to kill me. (laughs) Right. And I can still go to heaven. (laughs) That's the only thing that would make sense to me, but he missed, (laughs) he dies. And the fact that, his body's the next pumpkin head is really cool. I really like that. Although I don't think the second movie does that. The third movie does establish that. So. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. The second one, even one of the producers, he was like, yeah, my son told me, dad, don't watch the second one because it basically has nothing to do with the mm-hmm. original. And he said that he listened to his son's advice until like, I don't know, probably 10 years ago or so. And he's like, yeah, my son was right. But I do like how it does kind of come back around, right? He's wearing his son's necklace. I'm like, oh, that's kind of an interesting concept because she does mention that this is where, I guess, hillbillies bury their kin that they're ashamed of. And it's like, that's kind of an interesting concept too because that kind of opens it up to certain narratives you can play with, Mm -hmm. what have you. Does Um, she haul his ass all the way out there? That's another thing. I'm like, how old is this bitch? Who is she? <laughs> I mean, Haggis is a horrible alias, but she's got some cool powers yeah. if she's doing it by herself and getting up there on that mound. I don't know. I feel like maybe I shouldn't be as picky with some of these details not being filled in. Yeah. But I just want something more from the movie. And those, I know what you're are, those are hooks that aren't filled in that are easy to latch on to. You know yeah. I mean? I mean, there's some really cool things that you can still explore within this film. You know, if if you want to do like a, a retelling or what have you, but they didn't get to explore. I think it felt like a little bit of too many cooks. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of people writing. It had like so many different rewrites too. They said before Winston even received the screenplay, it had gone through like seven or eight different redrafts okay. until it reached him. 
And then when he got it, initially they just wanted him, of course, to be the special effects guy. But he's like, this is kind of a simple story. It's a low budget, and it's a way where I can kind of flex my directorial chops, you know, my vision. Yeah, so he took it, and then he started rewriting it. And then the other guys I mentioned earlier, so they all were kind of retelling it, like, I think six different drafts. So 13 times, 14 times before it was its final draft. That's a lot of going on. Ultimately, I like the ideas in this movie. I'd kind of like to see it continue. I know they were thinking about a reboot. Yeah. They were saying it was going to shoot in 2017. That's the last we heard. <laughs> yeah, we know it how this shit goes, right? obviously did not shoot in 2017, no. obviously. No. I think if they're going to do it, though, they need to, unfortunately, use the money to do it the right way. Yeah. And do practical effects again on the creature. Because I think otherwise there's not much that makes this creature stand out no. from others. It is smart and likes to fuck with things and is pretty much indestructible unless you fuck with the person who's running it. So that's kind of neat. But I just think that the best thing to do if you were to do a new pumpkin head to get people's attention... It's not pumpkin head, right? Like, it doesn't look like it has a fucking pumpkin head at all. And yeah. I know they address it in the movie, but... What's going to get people's attention to a fucking otherwise dumb name is if you do something completely practical, which is not how things are usually done anymore. No, you're right. And that's what these guys talked about, too, is, you know, working on this special effects, they said none of this was digital, you know? This is before digital was a big thing. And they mentioned that, too. It's like, you know, you can't really recreate what they were doing using digital. It just wouldn't feel right. It wouldn't look right. So, yeah, if you have a really good special effects team... You know, we've seen it with very low budget films and it still pays off pretty well if you know what you're doing. The same could be done with something with a moderate budget, but do it practical. Here's the only other thing is I think the only way a modern day pumpkin head would really fly is if you also went like super gory with it. Oh yeah, for sure. But then getting an R locks out a lot of audience. And so you wouldn't be assured to make your money back from point. investing in the practical effects. <laughs> yeah. I wonder, too. Yeah, I know, because I already know that what the answer would be there. It's like, if you give it to... Blumhouse? A blum, but, you know, it's like, no, 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 because I already know they're going to use digital. <laughs> <laughs> right. So that kind of rules them out a little bit. I mean, I would imagine in the right hands it could do well. Yeah. Somebody will do it at some point. I'm okay with waiting until they figure out the right way to do it. Yeah, and I, I would think, like to see it come back at some point, ultimately. I think within I might, the next 10 I'm, years I'm might be reasonable. I'm very unenthused about the way I've been talking about this movie, but ultimately I did enjoy it. Like, I would like to see more Pumpkinhead. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting tale. You know, it's gothic, it's dark, it's set in the Hicks, basically. That... <laughs> yeah, and make sure whenever you bring it back that it's definitely more hillbilly magic. I mean, I like that. That's a whole other world you can explore. Give them something. Yeah. Just just do it. It's ready for it. <laughs> I think it's a fun film. It's one that you can definitely watch around Halloween if you've never seen it before. It's not a very long film. I mean, it has a moderate runtime. It could be good for like a double billing. Yeah. I was just going to say, Cole's not going to get saved, so give him pumpkin head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't really have much else to say about the movie. I keep mentioning the creature as a high point, but I have to be honest, there are a couple times in the movie where it looks kind of funny looking, but... I mean, it's not really a pumpkin like you were saying. It's a creature, but I don't know. I, I like it. <laughs> I mean, there are some moments where it's like, okay, but I'm looking at it from a lens of a 38-year-old now. Yeah. It's a little different. Shit. Have we decided our Halloween episode for sure? Are I know we we've been alluding it? to it, yeah. Are we going to do Halloween? I mean... I'm not opposed to it. Are we going to... Uh, Trick-or-treats? <laughs> yeah, trick-or-treats. I'm not opposed. <laughs> Let's do it. All right. So... <laughs> So next week will be our Halloween episode, yes. Trick or Treats. That's so funny. That's going to be fun, just we're doing Trick or Treats after <laughs> well, considering, Trick yeah. or Treat and Trick or Treat. I mean, it fits with the season. It fits with the motif. So I'm excited for that. I hope you all are excited <laughs> for that. Please hit subscribe. We would love that even more. So that way you can listen to our Halloween episode and, you know, all of our other episodes. You can check us out wherever you get your podcasts. You can always head over to our website, www.friedsquirms.com. There's ways to listen up at the top. The latest episode always streaming down at the bottom in between the links to the Facebook, the Insta, the Twitter, and our entire back catalog of episodes. 
shit, you can contact us through the website or by hitting us up squirmcast at gmail.com. Did I forget anything? No, that sounds pretty right on the point. So, yeah, you mentioned if you want to contact us, let us know if there's any films you'd like for us to review, if you have any suggestions, maybe you're in the industry, need some eyes on some films, we might be able to help you out with that. So, yeah, don't be afraid to hit us up. Uh, We love you. We love you. We love talking to you. We love hearing from you. We're coming up on Halloween. Get excited. Yeah, I know. We're just uh, a couple weeks away here in the studio. What, one week away after this episode drops? I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. Fried Swarms out. out.